So we're thankful for the Lord. Let's pray for our pastor. He's out of town. Pastor's out of town. So let's pray for our pastor that the Lord uh, use him mightily and bring him back safely. Amen. Amen. And also this morning, we just want to acknowledge all of our visiting friends, as it was said, and, and also the Gonzalez family. Amen. Brother Tony and Sister Marie, welcome to welcome today. They are visiting us today from Church of Lennox. Amen. Welcome. Let's open our Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 18 through 23. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 18 through 23. And if it is up there, you can follow along. If you want to read your Bible, read your Bible. Amen. And it says the following, what then is my reward that when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak... To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I might be all means, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. So this morning I want to speak on all to all. That's the title of today's sermon, all to all. Let's go before the Lord. Father of lights. We come before you once again. Your presence is in this place, my God. You are speaking to us, my Lord. You are here with us, my God. You have prepared the table, my Lord. Now we ask you that you speak, my God. That you speak to your people, my Lord, today. You may use me, Lord, as your servant, my God. And your words go forth, Lord Jesus. We thank you, my God, and we bless your name. In the name of Jesus, amen may take your seats this morning. So my sermon is all to all. That's the title. And so we're in the evangelistic cycle. Uh, We're in 21 days of prayer and fasting as well. And uh, for those that are fasting, for those that are praying, that the Lord strengthen you, that the Lord guide you, that you resist temptation during this time of fasting, and that the Lord lift you up. But we are at a point where we need to evangelize, reach out to people, speak to people the good news of Jesus Christ. And here Paul is letting us know that he was all to all men. He didn't differentiate between one person or another person. He didn't exclude people from hearing the gospel. And he didn't favor a certain people or a certain culture over another one. 
he spread the gospel evenly to all people. He gave the gospel freely to all so that all might hear the gospel, so that all might make a decision whether to serve Christ or not serve Christ. That was Paul. That was his message. And he was all to all. When Paul says, I was, I was poor, he was poor. When Paul says, I was rich, I, he was rich. When Paul says he was stricken for the gospel, he was stricken for the gospel. When Paul says he was in prison for the gospel, he was in prison for the gospel. In other words, and in, and in each of those situations that he found himself in, nonetheless, we find testimony in the book of Acts that the gospel was preached. Whether in prison, the gospel was preached. Whether in chains, the gospel was preached to the Romans. Whether in homes, the gospel was preached. Whether in cities of Gentiles, which we are all Gentiles, the gospel was preached. So he was truly a man that lived that phrase. He was all to all. And so this morning, though, I want to bring to you, because we are talking about evangelism. We are talking about evangelism. So I want to talk to you about evangelism and how we can be all to all. How we can talk to the well-off and how we can talk to the lowly. How we can talk to the poor one on the street and we can talk to our co-worker at work. How we can talk to our friends at the gym and how we can talk to the people that we meet walking along, maybe a stroll on the beach. Maybe not today, but someday. Stroll on the beach or wherever we find ourselves. How we can spread the gospel. And for this, I'm taking into account a few things in the book of Acts. Because when we read the book of Acts, written by Luke, we find that the proclamation of Jesus Christ was made to the people in a way that they understood and could relate to the gospel. In a way they comprehended the gospel. Those that expressed the gospel, those that gave the gospel, had an impression of their audience. And were guided by the Holy Spirit to be able to relate the gospel to them at a level that the hearer could understand. So the, the gospel was, in, was preached. The gospel, the seed was thrown. But yet it was thrown in such a way that the person could understand. Because the reaction to the gospel is twofold. I, I really think it's twofold. It's either you reject the gospel... Or it's either you accept the gospel, or it's either that you you are you it it it, uh, it it brings to you some sort of well maybe there's more to this, but in either way it's either rejected or accepted to some degree the gospel. And there are two different events in the book of Acts that I want us to look at today, that give us that insight of how Paul, when he went to preach the gospel, he threw the seed, but he threw the seed in such a way. That the people understood. And the people could relate. And he could relate to them. And these two different events that we find in the book of Acts. Um, it's going to be kind of lengthy. So we're going to do a lot of reading today. So be ready to read. One of them is Paul and Barnabas at Antioch in Pisidia. In Acts chapter 13. Verse 13 and on. And the other one is Paul in Athens. In Acts chapter 17, verse 16 through 34. 
So if you'd be so kind to open your Bibles to both of those places, we will begin. I'm going to read first verses 13 through 24, and then I'm going to read verses 15, uh, chapter 17, verses 15 through 22. So let's go to Acts chapter 13, verse 13 through 24, and it says the following. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga, they arrived in Pisidian Antioch. And on the seventh day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And, and with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After he removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, according to the promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all people of Israel. Let's go to Acts chapter 17, verse 15 through 22. Now those who escorted Paul from him as far as Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him, as soon as possible they, le as soon as possible they left. Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens... His spirit was being provoked within him as he observed that the city was full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers as well were conversing with him. Some were saying, what could this scavenger of tidbits want to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they looked and they, and they took him and brought him into the Areopagus. Yes. Saying, may we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears so we, might, so we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are very religious in all aspects. How was Paul all to all to these two different groups? They're very different. They're very different. One side you have intellectuals. Secular, atheists, agnostics, people that just want to hear things. On the other side, you have people that are very religious, that go to synagogue, that read the scriptures, 
to hear the word of God on a, on a daily basis sometimes and definitely on the Sabbath. How did Paul, how was Paul able to communicate the gospel to each one of these vastly different groups? Well, the one thing about evangelism is that we have to know our audience. You have to know who you're speaking to. You have to know who they are. You have to know about them. It, it, yes, we, we spread the gospel and we spread the seed and that's correct. That's our, that's our calling. As a church, that's our primary calling to spread the gospel. Our primary calling is go out into all the world and preach the gospel. That's, that's it. But Paul attempted to understand the people and the culture. He tried to understand who they were, what they thought, how they thought, what were the customs, what were their, their, their religious experiences, why were they there, why would they come? How do we know this? Because at Perga, he arrived at the synagogue on the Sabbath. He arrived to the meeting place of who he was trying to reach. At Athens, Paul went to the marketplace and had conversation with those of the faith in the synagogue, Epicureans, and Stoics. He was aware of what was happening there. He familiarized himself with the culture and with the people. It is important that we do that. When we're talking to someone, it is important that we ask questions. Get to know who they are. Because in that we will be more effective in our transmission of the gospel message. In that it will be easier to make the gospel message palpable to them. Relatable to them. For them to understand. For them to comprehend the message. It is important to know the people we evangelize. Not that we're going to know them intimately. Very few people are we going to know intimately that we evangelize unless they come to Christ or they become part of our small group or we disciple them or we help them in their process of sanctification. All of that, we will grow intimately with them. But as we are evangelizing people, we won't grow intimately in two, three minutes, four, five minutes. We will not grow intimately with them. And that's not what we're saying. But we are going to be observant and hear what's going on. Be observant to who they are. If you're talking to somebody on the street, be observant. What are they doing? Where are they going? Maybe ask a question. You know, ask a few questions just to get to know who they are. We need to know our audience. We need to be attentive to the audience we are evangelizing. How do you evangelize a single mother? That's struggling. How do you evangelize a single father? Because we have a lot of those today now. How do you evangelize a single parent in general? How do you evangelize an older couple that doesn't know Christ but is very religious or is very agnostic? How do you evangelize a friend or a co-worker? How do you evangelize somebody at the gym where you're working out? How do you do it? See, we need to know the people that we are around. We need to get to know them. We need to ask questions. Because in getting to know them, in being around them, in the areas that they are, we're going to get to know their burdens. We're going to get to know their concerns. 
We're going to get to know what, what, what hurts them or what they are hurting of. We're going to get to know what, what their struggles are. We're going to get to know them as a person. We're going to get to know what they believe and what they don't believe. I know many people at work that are a-religious. They just don't go to church. I had a person in, in the academy that, not religious, didn't get converted. I would pray for the class every day that we would start our academy session. And I would pray in Jesus' name. I didn't care who was there, whether it was Catholic, Buddhist. It didn't matter to me. I would just say, we're going to pray. If you want to join us, pray. And I would pray in Jesus' name. And uh, many people that were agnostic or from other religions, they would just say, thank you. Thank you for praying. Thank you for praying. I needed that today. I needed to hear that today. Thank you very much. See, we have to get to know who the people are. We have to get to know them. And this is what Paul understood. That's why Paul could become all to all. Because he understood the people. Because he could relate to the people. Because he understood their thinking process. He went to the Athenians. To the Areopagus. And he spoke to them in their language. He went to the synagogue. And he spoke to them in their language. See, it's important that we do this in evangelism. It's important that we get to know the people. Because when we are going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to know this. It's not just about getting to know the people. But it's also about getting to know the people and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you can get to know the people, but if the Holy Spirit isn't guiding your words, it's not going to be as effective. See, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm glad Pastor started this series on the Holy Spirit. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when we are being filled with the Holy Spirit, we're not only going to get to know the people that we are evangelizing, but the Holy Spirit is going to direct us as to whom to speak to, what to say, how to say it, in what manner to say it, and what expressions to make, and, 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 and even the cadence that we speak the word to them, and the way we give them and we present them the gospel. It might be unusual the way you present the gospel to one person compared to another. It might be odd the way you present the gospel to a person at the gym as opposed to a person at the beach. It's going to be vastly different. It's going to be vastly different to to a, a person that you meet, that you know at work, to a person that you know at school. Because there's going to be different, they're going to be going through different situations, different circumstances. But yet, when the Holy Spirit is in you and guiding you, and you're getting to know the person, the Holy Spirit is going to prompt in you how to say, what to say, and when to say it. Because, see, the Holy Spirit will, when you're, when you're going to present the gospel and the Holy Spirit is, is prompting you to present the gospel, this Holy Spirit is going to make you uncomfortable because you need to bring the gospel of hope to these people. Because the Lord knows 
that you need to bring them the gospel. Because the Lord knows what this person is going through. Because the Lord knows what the struggles of this person is. Because the Lord knows the burden upon these people. And the Lord knows that if the gospel isn't preached to them, the light of men is not going to enter into their lives. We have to be filled with the gospel. We have to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have to be armed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, because we have a message of hope. We have a message of hope. We have a message of, of goodness. We have a message of freedom. We have a message that sets the captives free. That loosens the binds of the prisoner. And frees the prisoner. We have that message. There's something powerful about the messenger filled with the spirit of God, delivering the message of Jesus Christ to people that they have observed. There's something powerful there. There's something unmistakable there. Because you are, being, you are allowing yourself to be used by God. And in you being used by God, God delivers this message of hope to all these people. See, God wants to use each and every one of us. And it's uncomfortable to us. To evangelize, let's be honest, it's uncomfortable to us. It's not, it's not a comfortable experience. It's not a comfortable experience presenting the gospel to someone and the gospel rejecting you and that person rejecting you on the spot. It's not comfortable for you to present the gospel and the person to say, you're just speaking gibberish, man. I, I don't understand you. You make no sense to me. That's uncomfortable. But yet, the Spirit of God makes us uncomfortable because the Spirit of God is telling us, regardless of the reaction of the person, you still must preach the gospel. Now that you know about this person, now that you've been around this person, now that you have experience of who this person is, and you know what their burdens are, you know what they're carrying, you know what their struggles are, now you're responsible to bring them the gospel of hope. And that's uncomfortable. So we're uncomfortable on both, on two ends. Presenting the gospel and the spirit of God making us uncomfortable because we have a message that brings freedom and liberty to them. And in order to do this, we must be in tune with God. We must be in tune with God. It's hard to evangelize when you're not in tune with God. It's hard to go out there when you're not in tune with God. It's hard to know who to speak to when you're not in tune with God. It's hard to know the words to say when you're not in tune with God. It's hard to know what the people need when you're not in tune with God. Because when we are not in tune with God through prayer, through seeking of his face, we, 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 we make the gospel harder than what it seems and what it is. We make the gospel convoluted. We make the gospel of all these things when the gospel is simple. Jesus Christ came, died on the cross for you, lived a sinless life, rose on the third day. To forgive you of your sins. And to make you right before God. But sometimes when we're not in tune with God. We make the gospel something else. We make the gospel this difficult path to take. The path is difficult. But we make it even more difficult to get in the door. 
We make it super difficult for people to just enter in and open the door. Right? Sometimes we, we present the gospel in such a way that, that, we, that the people think that they have to clean themselves up before they come to the Lord. And there's no way a person can clean themselves up before they come to the Lord. It's like you cleaning yourself before you take a shower. There's no way. Why do you take a shower? To clean yourself up. Do you clean yourself up before you shower? No. You clean yourself in the shower and you come out clean. Same thing with the gospel. A pothead cannot change being a pothead until they come to the Lord. A slanderer, a person that curses like a sailor, can't stop cursing until they come to the Lord. And even when they get baptized, they might still curse a little bit. And that's because, I look, I, I'll be honest with you, when I got baptized, it's, it's a bit embarrassing. But I'll be honest with you, when I got baptized, that's why I'm kind of folding my suit here. I, I remember when I got baptized at the age of 13, it was uh, December 31st, 19... 89, and uh, got baptized, and I was like, oh, that's awesome, praise God, came out of the waters, and, uh, and it came out of the waters, and, um, and my brother-in-law, I saw my brother-in-law, I said, hey, and then I said the F word, got baptized, God has a lot of work to do with me. <laughs> Did God forgive me? Yeah. Did God change me? Yes, because now I don't use the F word. All right? Amen. But look, the point is this. You present the gospel. We got to present the gospel to the people the way they're going to understand it. And make it palpable to them. And the only way that's going to happen is if the Holy Spirit is living in you. And if you're in tune with God. Why? Because people are struggling with family issues. There's a lot of people struggling with family issues, with children issues. Right? You might have a mother, you might have a father, you might have a, a couple that comes to you and says, Hey, I'm struggling, man. I don't know what to do with my kids. I don't know what to do with them. I see them going down the wrong path. And if you're in tune with God, you know what you're going to say? You know what? God gives wisdom. Ask God for wisdom and he'll give you wisdom. He'll give you wisdom freely. He'll give it to anybody. Just ask him for wisdom. You want me to pray with you right now for God to ask you to give you wisdom? Let's pray. See, you'll be that sensitive because you're going to get to know the people. Another person might say, hey, my thoughts run away from me. I can't control my thoughts. I can't restrain my thoughts. It seems like they get the best of me every time. You know what? The Bible says that if we bring those thoughts to Jesus Christ, he'll bring them captive. And not only that, but he'll, 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 he'll give you freedom from those thoughts. You want to pray? Because I believe God can bring those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, the Bible says. And giving them their due punishment. You want to pray that those thoughts be punished? Let's pray. See, that's because you're getting to know who the person is. Or the person might say, hey, you know what? I feel depressed. I feel very anxious. 
I'm going through right now an emotional trial. I'm going right now through an emotional state that I've never been in before, and I don't know what to do. You know what? You know what? I know someone that can relieve that burden. I know someone that can give you rest. I know someone that can give you peace, even in this time of struggle. Even in this moment of chaos, he can give you peace. You want me to pray for you right now and ask the Lord to give you peace? He'll give you peace. See, this is getting to know who the people are. And in any circumstance and in every circumstance, the gospel has an answer. The gospel has an answer for everyone. And when we cold evangelize, when we cold evangelize, that means we don't know anything about any of these people that we're going to present the gospel to. There isn't any point of contact with them. We can ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say to this person? Because you know this person. I don't know this person. I never met this person. But you know this person. What do you want me to say? Remember one time my wife and I were evangelizing here at Magic Johnson Park. And uh, we're just evangelizing, talking to people about Christ. And then we saw this lady walking down this one path, um, talk, walking down this path. And, and I, we turned around, and I, and I just, I, I was like, why, why, why is it that the thought coming into my mind is the kingdom of heaven is here? Why, why is that thought here? Well, I'm going to talk to this person. And I said, hi, uh, you know, the kingdom of heaven is here. And she looked at me. She's like, the kingdom of heaven? I go, yeah. And then I started talking to her, and we started talking to her. And I started bringing the gospel message. I started bringing the gospel message. And then I came to the point of, yeah, you know, Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus. What? You mean you're not a Jehovah Witness? Like, well, yeah, but I'm not your kind. But yes, I am. So I thought I was speaking to a Jehovah Witness. No, but Christ wanted to speak to you the gospel message. Oh, just leave me alone. Don't bother me. Leave me alone. Right? Right? So... You know, the Holy Spirit knows who the people are. And the Holy Spirit knows what the people need. And on top of that, when you are evangelizing and you are spreading the gospel message, there's something that happens. The gifts of the Spirit begin to move in your life. Where you had no clue you had that gift. You, didn't, you had no clue you had the gift of discernment. You had no clue you had the gift of word of knowledge, word of wisdom. You had no clue you had the gift of faith. You had no clue you had the gift of miracles. You had no clue you had the gift of healing. But yet in that moment, in that moment that you're evangelizing and bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to others, all of a sudden the gifts of the Spirit begin to move in your life and, you be, and the Lord begins to touch that person. The Lord begins to move in that person. The Lord begins to, to, to come to that person right where they're at. The person might just say, you know what, I want you to pray for such and such because they don't want to draw attention to themselves, right? They don't want to draw attention to themselves. So they're like, you know, pray for my mom, pray for my dad, pray for my dog, or pray for this and that. And you're like, okay, I'll pray for you. I'll just pray for you. And you begin to pray for them. And all of a sudden... All of a sudden, the gift of discernment, the gift of, of wisdom, the gift of knowledge comes upon you. And you begin to pray in such a way that the person 
understands that, wait a minute, I didn't talk to this person about any of these issues I'm going through, and yet they're praying for these issues, and the Spirit of God begins to break them down and begins to move in their life, and they begin to react to what the Spirit of God is doing in their life. That is because you are in tune with God. That is because you are allowing the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of you to begin to move in your life in such a way that now God is touching this person who had no knowledge of God, who had no knowledge of who he was or what he can do. Now God is touching this person's life. And you're thinking to yourself, what is happening? I was just going to pray for this person for two minutes and go on my way. And now it's 30 minutes and God is still moving in this person. That's because God is doing so. That's because you're in tune with the spirit of God. That's because you're allowing God to move in your life. And that's because you also took the time to come to know the person. To come to understand who the person is is it starts by knowing but it's not just knowledge that we need of the people the second thing that happened was the following go with me to acts chapter 13 verse 6 go with me to paul to to acts chapter 13 verse 6 and then we'll go to acts 17 21 and 22 it says this, Paul stood up and motioning with his, with his hand said, Men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. And then the Areopagus, in Acts chapter 17, 21 through 22, he says, Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are very religious in all respects. What do we need? We need valor. It isn't just knowing, but we need valor. See, it's good to know the people. It's good to know your audience. It's good to know who you're going to present the gospel to. But we also need valor. We need boldness. It's not enough just to know. We know a lot of people at work, right? We know a lot of people at school. We know a lot of people at the coffee shop where we, where we go. We know a lot of people at the gym where we go work out. We know a lot of people at the store that we go to all the time or 7-Eleven or if you go there often like I do. You know the people that are there. You know the person behind the counter. You know these people. We know them. But it's not enough. It's now... We need valor. We need boldness to present the gospel message. Think about it. Paul, he went to the synagogue. The moment there was an opportunity to present the gospel, he took advantage of it. At the Areopagus, the moment that he had the opportunity, he stood up in the midst of all these Athenians that he did not know and began to preach the gospel to them. To proclaim the good news. Why? Because see, this comes from an out, from this comes, this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. The preaching of the gospel is where the Holy Spirit comes in. 
This is where the Holy Spirit has the big part in our lives. I know you. Now, Holy Spirit, give me the valor, the boldness to speak the word. Because we're shy. We're timid. You know, we're afraid. But when the Holy Spirit is in your life, moving in your life, moving in our lives, acting powerfully in our lives, we will get up and speak the truth. We will get up and say the truth. That's why there must be a closeness with God. Because it's not our words that are going to change the people. It's our words moved by the Spirit of God that are going to cause a reaction in the people. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. See, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we begin to preach the gospel message, there aren't fanciful words that we can put together for the person to accept the gospel or, or, or come to know. that we, Some of us are not as eloquent. I wish I was more eloquent in my speaking. I wish I, I was. But it's not the eloquency of our speaking that's going to bring somebody to Christ. It is the Spirit of God through our words that is going to bring conviction of sin to the person to recognize who they are before God. To recognize their shortcomings before God. To recognize that they need a Savior. To recognize that they are in a deplorable state. To recognize that sin has ruined their lives. Ruined maybe their marriages. Ruined maybe their friendships. Taking them to places that they didn't want to go. It is the Spirit of God that's going to bring that recognition to them. It is the Spirit of God that's going to bring this to their, to their understanding. 1 Corinthians 2.13 says, Which things we all speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Because the words that we speak when we evangelize should be spiritual words. Should be words filled with the Spirit of God in them. And the way they're going to be filled with the Spirit of God is if we are filled with the Spirit of God. There's something powerful about a messenger filled with the Spirit of God evangelizing and someone just evangelizing. There's a power, there's a big difference. Because the person filled with the Spirit of God evangelizing will have an impact on the person, whether to accept or reject the gospel. And the person just evangelizing to fulfill a commandment just becomes a religious liturgy. Uh, 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 liturgical thing. I must do this. I'm just going to do this. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. I feel, I feel my commandment. I feel the commandment. I preach the gospel. Jesus loves you. But when a person is filled with the spirit of God, it isn't just Jesus loves you. It's Jesus wants to change your life. Jesus wants to give you a better life. Jesus wants to bring bring fulfillment to your life. Jesus wants to bring satisfaction to your life. Jesus wants to save you. Jesus wants to change you. I remember when I spoke to somebody and I said, you know, it isn't just about knowing Jesus. 
And I don't know where I got the courage to say this. It's about that you need to change. You need to change. Unless you change, there's nothing. Unless you come to Christ and are willing to be changed, you're not going to change. And you're just going to know Jesus on the surface. And that person said, I don't need to change. No, you do need to change. I don't need to change. Well, if you, if, if you don't come to Christ and you don't allow him to change, then you don't know Jesus Christ. Well, then I'm okay with that. Like, okay. But see, the difference is when the person is filled with the Spirit of God, you're, 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 you're going to persist. You're, you're, you're going to want to leave an impact. You're going to want this person to know, to know that they have a decision to make. Because it's, it's going to be a burden upon your soul. It's going to be a burden upon your mind. It's going to be a burden upon your heart. That even if you leave that person and you didn't present the gospel completely, it's going to be a burden on your heart. You're going to be like, ah, I didn't finish. I didn't finish. Lord, forgive me. I didn't finish. And the next time you see that person, you're going to want to finish the conversation. That's the difference. One is a passion. Maybe you might not be an evangelist, but when you're filled with the Spirit of God, the passion when you present the gospel is going to be there. Some of you are natural evangelists. I mean, you don't have to say anything spectacular and the people just gravitate to you. And others of us are like lights at night when the bugs scatter. Present the gospel, and people just scatter. I had an impact, though. I still had an impact. But see, there's people that are natural evangelists. And then there's people that need the Spirit of God to present the gospel so that it can make an impact in the person's life. See, because after receiving the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 36 through 38, Peter got up and began to preach the gospel, right? He got up and began to preach the gospel. And he preached the gospel and he preached to them who Jesus was, what he came to do, what, what was their part in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And how did the people respond that were hearing them in the day of Pentecost? It says the following. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, having the Holy Spirit in our life is essential in evangelism. Because you're going to make a person react. You're going to make a person decide. The gospel message is going to make a person decide right then and there. We will be, be why? Because we're going to be precise with our words. And there are going to be words that are going to cause, that are going to have an impact. They're going to leave an impression on the people. 
They might say, I don't want to touch this subject again with you. We can be friends, but don't touch the subject. Or they can say, I want to hear more. I want to know more. Yeah, we're throwing the seed. We're throwing the seed. But what Paul is showing us here is that we have to understand how to throw the seed. And in what way to throw the seed. Because we will be effective in evangelism. Let, let, let's, let's get something, let's understand something. Effective evangelism is when a person makes a decision for Christ or not. That's effective evangelism. We might say, no, effective evangelism is when this church is filled with people. When the person makes a decision for Christ. We can go down that route, but we're going to be blind to the fact that there's the opposite reaction that a person's going to say no i don't want this no don't talk to me anymore about christ that's effective evangelism because there at that point god is justified that person when that person goes before the throne of god cannot say you did not give me an opportunity to accept you you did not give me an opportunity to re you did not give me an opportunity you gave me an opportunity, but in my ignorance, in my sinful desires, I have no, I, I, I have no excuse why, not, why I did not accept the gospel. In that moment, before the judgment throne of Christ, they're going, they're going to have no excuse. And that's going to make God justified and men a liar. What else does Paul teach us here? What else does Paul teach us? Well, when you look at Acts chapter 13, verse 17 through 30, and you look at uh, Acts chapter 17, 23 through 32, I'm not going to read it to you. I'm not going to read it now. But when we look at that, we see there this, that Paul used precise, that Paul used direct words. When he evangelized, he used direct words. He didn't use allegories necessarily. He didn't use metaphors necessarily, but he used direct words. Let me read one of them to you. He said in verse 17, the God of this people Israel to the to Pisidian, the people at the synagogue, the God of this people of Israel chose, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. And he goes on and speaks to them about being, being freed from the captivity, being freed from, from, from Egypt. But then he goes on to say in verse 27, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him, which is Jesus, nor the declarations of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no grounds for putting him to death, they asked Pilate to be, that he be executed. When they had carried out everything that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. That's direct words. You know who your fathers were. You know who they were. You know where we came from. You know the prophets. The prophets spoke about the Messiah coming. Jesus Christ was the Messiah, but yet you didn't want to accept him. You didn't want to, you didn't want to make him your Messiah. You didn't want to be ruled by him. You didn't want to follow him. You took him to Pilate. He was crucified and all that's in the scriptures. And now you have no excuse because God raised him from the dead. See how precise those words are? How direct those words are? 
Look at what he told the, the Athenians in verse 23, chapter 17. For uh, I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship. I also found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, call them ignorant, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything that is in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands. And he goes on and goes on. And in verse 32, he says, now, he says, in, in verse 30, he says, so having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now proclaiming to mankind that all people everywhere are to repent because he has set a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom, whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all people by raising him from the dead. And look at verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to scoff. But others said, we shall hear from you again concerning this. Those are direct words. Paul didn't mince his words. He was direct. And sometimes by us trying to make our gospel message cute and not so harsh and not so not so in your face we lose the essence of the gospel the essence of the gospel is lost because we're we're trying to soften the blow of the gospel we're trying to soften the blow that they're sinners and going to hell John the Baptist was very direct. What are you vipers, you snakes, doing here? Who, who warned you of the wrath to come? See, the message, the gospel is already harsh. We don't make the gospel message harsh. It's already harsh. But sometimes what we do to lessen the harshness of the gospel, we try to soften the blow. And when we try to soften the blow of the gospel... We preach to them a lie. We preach to them a partial truth. And a partial truth is a lie. Because we're not giving them the whole gospel. And we must be careful not to give the gospel as it is. We must be very careful not to give, to give the gospel as it is. Why? Because we know this. Jesus is the door. There's no other way. He's the door. If you don't go through him, you're not getting in. It's a narrow road. And that narrow road comes with discipline. You discipline your body. You discipline yourself. Comes with things that God says that prohibits in our lives. He prohibits. It's a narrow road. And if we don't preach that narrow road, if we don't preach that he is the only door, then we're not preaching the gospel. Then we're not preaching the gospel. We're preaching something else. Because, see, the gospel is in itself offensive. Jesus Christ was offensive with his words. I'm not saying be offensive. Because we got to preach the gospel with love. Okay. Love. We got to speak the truth with love. But see, the gospel in and of itself is offensive. The Pharisees took offense to the gospel. 
in, in Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 12, the Pharisees took offense to the gospel. How? In what way? Because to the Pharisees, if you didn't wash your hands, if you ate with dirty hands, if you didn't do certain rituals, if you touched certain things, you were defiled. That's it. You were unclean. You were completely unclean and you were an offense to God and you need to repent of, or you need to repent of that physical uh, uh, of that physical dirtiness. Jesus Christ came and said, it's not what enters the man that makes him defiled. It's not eating with dirty hands. It's, that's not what makes a man defiled. It's what comes out of the heart. See, Pharisees, you have it wrong. It's the opposite. The heart needs to be changed in order for a person not to be defiled. It's not, it's not what they eat or how they eat or if they eat with dirty hands or not dirty hands. That has nothing to do with, with an offense to God. The offense to God is because the person's heart is, is, is dirty, is defiled already. That's what's offensive. And they took offense to that message because it ruined their whole religious construct. It ruined them. Because what he was saying is that sin is not external. Sin is primarily internal. See, that's offensive. That was offensive. And the gospel is going to be that way to those that you meet. Nobody wants to know that they're not going to make it to heaven. Nobody does. Nobody wants to know that they're not good enough to make it to heaven. Nobody wants to know that they are short in making it to heaven. Nobody does. Everybody wants to know, I go to church. That's enough to make it into heaven. I do enough to make it into heaven. That's what people want to know. And what the Lord says, that's not enough. You must submit. You must surrender. You must, be, you must take up your cross every day. And follow him. See, so we must use direct words. Let's not beat around the bush when we're presenting the gospel. In love, but let's not beat around the bush. Let's present the gospel as it is. Because the one that's going to convert the person is the spirit of God. The one that's going to change the hearts is the spirit of God. God's going to prick that heart to recognize their sin, to recognize their downfall, to recognize who they are. And see, what else do we learn from, from Paul? Let's stand. What else do we learn from Paul in this? That there's joy in sharing the gospel message. There's joy. A hearing of the gospel, those that the Lord is calling will come. Those that, those that the Lord is moving in their hearts, they will come. And they will come and they will be amongst us. And they will be fellowshipping with us. And they will be praising and glorifying God. They will. <clears throat> Acts chapter 13 verse 48 and 49 says, When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And all who have been appointed to eternal life believed. In Acts chapter 17 verse 34. 
But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, Dionysius and Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. See, people are going to believe, people are going to respond. But we have to be willing to present the gospel as it is. In order to present the gospel as it is, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. And being filled with the Spirit of God will give us valor and the opportunity to know the people that we are presenting the gospel to. So let's ask the Lord, help me know the people to whom I am to speak. And that I may speak to them clearly. Give me valor to speak. Help me make the message clear. So a sinner can come to repentance and there be joy in heaven. Because the Bible says in Luke 15, 7, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. There'll be more joy in heaven for that one person that came to him that recognize their sin than for 99 people who lift up their collar look very nice on Sunday and come to church in a religious manner so let's ask the Lord Lord help me help me be this evangelist I might not have the gift the calling of an evangelist Lord, when it's an opportunity that I may have valor to speak, I may be direct with my words, and that I may be able to speak to the need of the person so that you can do a work in that person and let them know that you know them and that you want to bring change and hope to their lives. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this evening, this morning, and we bless your name. We glorify your name, oh God. We exalt you today for your goodness and your mercy. We exalt you today that we have come to know you. We exalt you today, my God, that our eyes have been opened. Our ears have been opened to the hearing of the gospel. We thank you today that you took us, Lord, from the kingdom, from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your glorious Son. We thank you that we are there. But Lord, there are many others, my God, who are not there, who are still in the domain of darkness, my God, who are still captive, Lord, who are still blind, who are still dull in their intellect, my God, who are still hardened, Lord Jesus, until the word comes to them, until somebody brings the gospel to them, Lord. Lord, fill me with your spirit, my God. Fill me with your spirit, my Lord that I may present the gospel, my God, that when the opportunity arises, I may have valor to speak the truth, to speak the, the words of life, to speak the words of freedom, to speak the words of hope, my God, to speak the words, my Lord, that bring life to the dead soul, my God, that bring life to the dead, my Lord, that bring hope, Lord, to the hopeless, my God, 
that bring, Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah, Lord, that bring, Lord Jesus, hallelujah, something, Lord Jesus, in a person that makes them know that they are alive, my God. Lord, fill me with your spirit, my Lord, uh, so that when an opportunity arises, uh, I may not let it go to waste, my God. Uh, I may not say, Lord, frivolous things, my Lord, uh, but I may, Lord, interject the gospel, my God, because it could be in that moment, my Lord. Uh, that might be the moment that this person, Lord, uh, is open to the gospel, my God. Uh, they may be sensitive to you in those moments, Lord, uh, and not have them go to the wayside, my God. And this person, Lord, not hear your glorious words of life. Lord, fill this church with your spirit. Fill each member of this church with your spirit, my God. To present the gospel, Lord. To be direct, my God. To bring hope to the hopeless. To bring the words of life to the lifeless, my God. To preach the gospel to the poor in spirit, my Lord. Oh, Father, help us, my God, and strengthen us. And give us mercy, my Lord. And give us grace before our hearers, my God. Give us grace, my Lord, in the name of Jesus. This altar is open this morning if you'd like to come. If you'd like to come and have someone pray for you, this altar is open at this time as our worship team ministered to us. Amen. 